The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This morning, I want to talk about some beneficial ways of moving through the world that both support and express maturity of Buddhist practice or spiritual practice more broadly. And I'll do that through a series of of stories or vignettes, and we'll kind of tease it out as we go along. So, knowing that's where we're going, once upon a time, imagine yourself back in ancient India, North India, the time of the Buddha more than 2,600 years ago. It's the Bronze Age. The snow-tipped peaks of the Himalayan mountains jut up against a pristine, vast sky, plains and rolling hills. It's an agrarian society, and it's heavily influenced by caste. And as we zoom in on these little nation-states, proto-nation-states that were evolving at this time, the lens takes us to a country called Kosala, It's a good country, led by a benevolent monarch, King Pasenadi. And um, his rule is proficient, skillful, kind. Kosala is among many, many different proto-nation states at that time that are kind of jockeying for power or a place in ancient North India. And at the time of which I speak, a neighboring king, the king of a country called Magadha, decides to, unprovoked, attack the good kingdom of Kosala. So suddenly Kosala finds itself at war. And so far in this story, we're more or less in the realm of historical fact. All of this happened. Commentaries on the ancient Buddhist teachings commentaries I relate to more as ancient myths with all the embellishments and the wisdom that myths have, they have stories about this time. And one of these stories is of a peasant girl, young woman, the daughter of two flower growers. And her name in English is Jasmine or Jasmine Bud. And she, like pretty much all kids back then in agrarian societies, helped her parents out with the flower-growing business. And one day, she's walking to the field for a day of work, gathering flowers, and she has her whole day's worth of meals with her, all three meals in her basket. And as it happens on that particular day, she encounters a group of wandering mendicants, monks, on her way to her work. And the leader of these monks is so sublime, so radiant, has so much presence and kindness that she spontaneously kneels down, bows, and offers all of her own food for the day into his bowl. And the Buddha, for that's who it was, smiles at her, and she goes on her way, and he goes on his way. 
when she arrives and starts gathering the flowers for the day, she just has this joy in her from her generosity, from the encounter with this radiant sage. And she's filled with this sense of confidence and joy and it kind of just bubbles out of her and she sings as she works, as she gathers the flowers. Well, later that morning, later that day, the good King Pisanity was returning to the capital from a battle that did not go well. Tough day. And he's riding his horse along the road, and he hears Jasmine, her poly name is Malika, singing. And intrigued, perhaps pleasantly distracted, he rides his horse over to where she is in the fields. Well, filled with that confidence, that joy, that happiness, Malika doesn't do what a normal low-caste peasant would do when a king approaches. She doesn't hide, she doesn't bow down, she doesn't have her eyes downcast. But instead, as he approaches, she smiles. And as his horse comes to a stop right next to her, she looks up into his eyes, gently grabs the horse's reins, and smiles at him. And he is transfixed, absolutely stunned. The first words out of his mouth when their eyes met is, Are you married? No, sir. No, Lord, I'm not. And at that, he dismounts. And as the story goes, he started to confide in her all of the tribulations, all of the troubles, his concern for his troops, his country, his people. Confiding in her, eventually they sit beneath a tree and and his head is in her lap and she's stroking his hair and consoling him. Well, after some time, the king is consoled. It's a touching scene, right? And he rises up and he asks her, would you please accompany me on my horse? And she agrees. So he lifts her up on the horse, gets up, and together they ride to her parents' house, where he asks for her hand in marriage. Isn't that a sweet Cinderella story? Right? So... That is how Malika, Jasmine, became Pisanity's first and most beloved queen. She wasn't perfect, but she was valued by her king and her country for her compassion, her strength, her wisdom, and, above all, her concern for all people of all castes, her care and compassion for her common, the common people, and her lack of any pretentiousness, snobbery. So let's pause for a minute, and I want to just tease out some of the themes of this story so far. So Malika's actions, the spontaneous generosity, she let herself really feel the joy of that, the joy of that giving, right? And that in turn led to a confidence as she reflected on, absorbed her good actions. That joy and confidence and self-respect went a long way towards the interaction with this king. All of these, all of these traits, joy, generosity, which is the layperson's letting go, right? 
to release, the giving up, the confidence, the trust. All of these are really beautiful mental qualities, internal attitudes to turn back around and bring to our own meditation practice. It's helpful to learn to celebrate or at least acknowledge our own good qualities, our own good actions in particular. This feeds, nourishes the relationship we have with ourselves and with our practice. This doesn't have to be anything complicated. If you're like, well, no, I haven't done anything good. It can be as simple as the aspiration to suffer less, to sit down, to practice, to develop the mind and the heart through meditation. It can also be as simple as a single act of generosity through your day or your week, an act of kindness towards a stranger. Sort of a modern modern anecdote from science about this. There's a, a scientific researcher that has done a couple of studies on the effect of kindness and generosity on the giver. And one of these, I think it was his first, the study participants were um, recruited at an ice skating rink. So it's cold, right? I'm not sure if it was indoor or outdoor, but they keep those places cold. And their task, if you can call it that, was to give away free hot chocolate to total strangers. And they followed up both with the study participants and with the total strangers receiving the hot chocolate. And some interesting things were learned. First, the study participants had no idea how good it would make them feel to do this, not just in the moment, but through their whole day. And they also underestimated how good it made the recipients feel. Not just the boost in the moment of receiving the sweet treat, but the warmth and the kindness of being thought of at all, being offered anything at all, rippled through their day too. And it turns out it made them more likely to be kind and generous. So that everyone underestimated the power of the kindness and the generosity. So, that kind of uplifting, warm effect on ourselves and others can be nourishing. Nourishing to relationships, nourishing to practice. All right, now I'm at Act Two of the story of Queen Malika and King Pasenadi. And in this scene, the king and his young, fairly new, beautiful queen are up on the castle between two parapets. They're on some kind of porch or deck type thing. And they're looking out. It's a glorious sunset. And they're looking out at the horizon, the mountains etched against the sky, the dusky indigo villages and fields. And it's kind of a touching scene the king turns to his wife and asks, in all the world, Malika, in all the world, wife, who do you love most? Who do you hold most dear? 
And the commentaries, some of them say that Pasanati, Pasanati, expected his wife to answer that it was him. And the ancient commentaries opined that um, it was because he would have thought that because he lifted her out of poverty to the most powerful position a woman could possibly have in that day. And I think of it as more of a maybe a tender, vulnerable moment between two lovers, husband and wife, spouses. One feeling maybe a little shaky and insecure and turning to the other and asking about their affections. In any case, the moment stretches on and the silence thickens. And Malika finally answers, holding both of her hands in his, his hands in hers, sorry. Their hands are clasped. And she looks straight into his eyes again with all that love and wisdom and says, My Lord, it is myself I hold most dear. Oh, wait a minute. That's not how a love story usually goes, is it? Not so much. Well, he was taken aback too in that moment. Maybe a little hurt, surprised, but they hang in there and they stay in the conversation together. And with her luminous eyes, her hand still on his, she looks up and says, My Lord, truly, who do you love most in this world? As happens often between them in these ancient stories, her words really give him pause, and after some moments of silent reflection, Pasanity turns back his eyes to hers, and still holding hands, he admits, I do hold myself most dear, Malika. So I suppose there are people listening who might think of this as a somewhat selfish exchange, a cautious admission between two of the most wealthy and powerful people of their day. But I don't see it that way. Instead, though it's impossible to know with ancient India, millennia between now and then, what all the cultural resonance was, what the cultural context was, we can't know that. But from where I sit in Northern California, two plus millennia later, there's a modern psychological perspective to bring that her love for herself, her regard for herself, could be the wellspring from which the love for her partner flows, and for that matter, for anyone else. And... She has the integrity to say that and encourage and be able to hear her partner and his perspective, too. That kind of mutual honesty reads as courage and integrity, too. Right? Can. And that kind of honesty, that positive self-regard, those are also very powerful bases for any relationship to others, to ourselves and to our practice. King Pasenadi, though, like this really was on his mind. He journeyed a little ways to go see the Buddha, consult the wisest sage he knows, the teacher to which his wife has entrusted her spiritual life, 
And he relates the conversation and asks the Buddha about it. And the Buddha sagely nods and affirms that what Malika has said is indeed wise and true. And then the Buddha unpacks the significance of what Malika has said. And he talks about how searching all directions with your awareness, you won't find anyone, anyone dearer or more central to your life than yourself. And it's the same way for others too. Each person holds themselves as the reference point, holds themselves as most dear. And the Buddha's teaching about this, whether or not we agree with this presumption in our contemporary society, is that anyone who loves themselves, anyone who cares for their own life, shouldn't hurt others, should practice non-harming. So self-love is assumed in early Buddhist teachings, and it's taught as the initial basis from which to cultivate love, kindness, non-harming towards all. And for some of us, this is challenging. This is a challenging assumption for many people raised in contemporary culture. So, another way of understanding it I touched on as I named his teachings, which is to notice that for most of us, most of the time, ourselves, our perspective, is the most central and primary. Even if we absolutely love and sacrifice for our kids or our partner or the people we care for, there is that central reference point of self. And seeing this, being honest about it, helps develop perspectival empathy, compassion, care, a true understanding and respect for other people based on the notion that they too have this center point from which they're living their lives. All sentient beings do. This is a basis for non-harming. At its most mature, it's an alternate way of understanding this notion of Buddhist conceit many of you have heard of, this idea of being better than or greater than, less than or worse than, or even equal to. This is... um, one of the last fetters, one of the last kind of bindings that hold people back from waking up. And instead of that greater than, less than, or equal to, this teaching encourages a sense of, wow, we're incomparable, we're unique. Each person, each life is precious to itself. and common too, commonly bound together by the wish for happiness. So when the self is no longer at the center of things, wisdom arises. And when wisdom arises, especially in relation to others, kindness and compassion naturally flow in a field of responsive equanimity.
And this brings us to the third and final vignette in the story of Pasaneri and his wife Malika. There's one night, maybe this was some time later, where the king had a series of many disturbing dreams, 16 disturbing dreams in all. There were these visceral kind of nightmares that sound totally real, and in them he heard the moans and cries of suffering people. But they were incohate. He couldn't make out what they were saying, just a syllable here and a syllable there. He woke up in the morning perturbed, really shaken, and began to reach out and consult some Brahmin priests who happened to be nearby. These Brahmin priests interpreted his dream for him, and they interpreted it as a calamity, a massive catastrophe was coming to the realm. Well, Pasenadi was shaken by that too, and the Brahmins assured him that a large-scale sacrifice would prevent this horrible event or series of events from happening. So somewhat reluctantly, but wanting to do the best for his people, he agreed. And it was a large-scale sacrifice, not just of animals, but for efficacy, they were supposed to involve four human beings too, innocent human beings. So Malika, I'm not sure if she'd been away or whatnot, but she hadn't been involved or around. And she returns to the castle to see all this activity with all these Brahmins preparing for this thing, gathering of animals and people and digging of pits and all this. And she goes to her husband and says, Dear, what's going on? What's happening? And he explains, and moved by compassion, as well as perhaps some wisdom, she tries to persuade him to call off the sacrifice. And he's reluctant. He doesn't want to kill, and he also doesn't want to harm his realm. But she does persuade him to go see the Buddha at some distance. So he journeys to go see the Buddha and ask for his interpretation of the dream. And the Buddha's interpretation is ethically based. Ethically based. It... um, includes the Buddha's acknowledgement of the king's sensitivity, of his concern for his realm, but puts an ethical lens on the whole dream. And Pasaneti is so moved by this that he becomes a follower of the Buddha on the spot. And when he comes home, he agrees to Malika's wish for non-harming and calls off the sacrifice. Many lives saved. Even after they both became followers of the Buddha, the king and queen supported many different religious sects, many different kinds of um, faith followers. And in a gesture of generosity, I think it was not long after this, they dedicated a park in their realm to the Buddha and his followers. And in that park, Queen Malika had a hall built. And this hall was for the purpose of interfaith and interreligious dialogue, peace-building, tolerance. So they were big supporters. So themes here, the concern for well-being of others, that when that is dominated by reactivity, 
it can lead to interpretations that aren't necessarily so helpful or leaning outwards for knowledge in ways that aren't helpful. Malika's compassion and wish for non-harming, broadly non-harming. And then, not arising from reactivity, the wise person, perhaps in this story, the Buddha, with concern, what's best for oneself, others, self and others, and all concerned, everyone. And this is the definition of wisdom, one of the definitions of wisdom in the ancient teachings. So to summarize so far, the traits, behaviors exhibited, evoked in these stories, could be described of as practices belonging to the Buddhist sort of developmental basket, if you will, of sila, ethical ways of moving through the world, concern for other people. These include the joy of generosity, laypersons letting go, confidence and self-respect that come from appreciating our own good actions, trust, kindness, positive self-regard or self-love, honesty, and compassionate regard for others, non-harming. So all of these, all of these are also deeply beneficial ways to relate to one's own mind and heart in practice. Some of them will be more accessible at times than others, even just the wish for them is a helpful energy to start to bring to the practice. So here I'll transition because we're moving now into talking a little bit about meditation, the samadhi basket in the Buddhist developmental schema, meditation basket of practice. And there's a, a famous um, discourse, many of you have heard of this, the acrobat discourse. A master acrobat and his apprentice, whose Pali name translates as frying pan, of all things. So it's a little bit of a playful story, and it's got a lot of truth in it. So in ancient India, acrobats, these acrobats anyway, used um, bamboo poles to do their tricks. And the deal was that one acrobat would be on the ground, standing or walking around, doing their thing, and they would balance the pole either on their forehead or on their sternum. And the other acrobat, their job was to be on top of the pole, doing their trick. So it's quite a precarious act of balancing, right? So the master, being the more experienced, was in charge of sort of holding the pole steady, And right before their trick, he says to his apprentice, my dear frying pan, here's how we're going to do this. I'll look after you, and you look after me, and that way we'll perform our trick safely, finish up, and collect our fee. And the apprentice considers this for a moment, and despite being younger, less experienced, and a woman, in that society, she says, I don't think that's the best way to go. 
I need to look after my own balance and you need to look after your own balance. And that way we will both be safe, perform our trick and collect our money. Well, they did. They were safe. They collected their money. And at some point the Buddha heard about this story. And the first thing he said was that, you know, the apprentice is right. Mindfulness is a way of looking to our own balance, looking to our own heart and mind and life and body that not only helps us move through the world in a way that is more harmonious for ourselves, but it also protects others, protects others from us, right? And the master was right too. The concern, the loving concerned regard for others that expresses as ethical comportment, sila, that is a way that we take care of each other. So they're both right. And together, these are powerful ways to move through the world that support a deepening of meditation. And they can blend together. Blend together. So one last short anecdote. The Buddha is often depicted in these ancient teachings as traveling from place to place, often from one group of monks to another. And a group that turns up particularly often is a group with a famous monk named Anuruddha. And this particular group is a joy to visit. The suttas talk about how pleasant they are to be around. They're described as being like milk and water blended, harmonious, viewing each other with kindly eyes. Wow. The group of people living that way they were enacting, it becomes clear, I'm not going to read the sutta or recite it, but that they are holding themselves in mindfulness and looking out after each other. And this enables the harmony to happen. They're supporting each other with, and I'm quoting here, mental, verbal, and bodily acts of kindness. When these conditions are in place, it's possible to go with the flow pretty easily, right? And this kind of restraint, consideration, non-contention, lends itself to cohesive community, whether home or work or neighborhood. And turning inwards, it lends itself to deepening of the meditation practice. Now getting there, isn't always seamless. I would say it's not seamless for any of us. It's helpful sometimes to consult a teacher, and the Buddha, when he was traveling, was indeed the consulting teacher that this group talked to. It's also helpful to consult the teacher within, your own heart. Take time, metabolize. Turn inward to meet everything that's unfolding, the good, the bad, the ugly, with patience, kindness, a kindly gaze of curiosity, interest. With that kind of internal gaze, internal weather, our systems naturally move towards, most often, wholeness, integration, healing, 
and awakening. Discernment will develop. And eventually, this inner congruence, discernment, and letting go ripen into deeper levels of spiritual maturity, wisdom, and unfold towards awakening itself. So, those are my thoughts. Thank you very much for your kind attention. We have about 10 minutes for questions, comments, if anyone would like to offer them. I think um, it's easiest for all concerned if you use the microphone, if you have any. So, floor is open. And um, if you're comfortable saying your name, that would be great. Sure. Hi. First name, yeah. Uh, my name is Saza. Uh, I just wanted to point out, Malika does not mean Jasmine, it means queen. So her name already meant queen, and mm. she got the title. Okay, thank you. And um, the Pali English Dictionary gives Jasmine Bud as one of the definitions of Malika. For Malika? Of Malika, M-A-L-L-I-K-A. Yeah. Yeah, so it's in the Pali English Dictionary. And from Nepal. Huh? I'm from Nepal. Like that's my name. Yeah, but Pali is not Nepali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it evolved, right? So I'm sure Malika came to mean queen probably because of her. Hmm. Or maybe not. But these myths conflate and blend names like that. So, but it is, um, thank you for that. I had not seen queen in the dictionary, but in the Pali dictionary, P A L I, not Nepali, one of the meanings is flower, jasmine, but. Appreciate it. Any other comments? Yeah. Hi, I'm Sol. Um, I'm kind of new to Buddhism, and I really loved all your story. It was very touching. So I'm just wondering, like, if there is a good introductory book that I could find and read more about it to find out more uh, of our stories, like the ones that you told? Um, So most of the introductory books don't have those stories in them, but they have more of the principles and the ways of practice in them. Are you more interested in the stories or learning about sort of the principles and the practice? Maybe both. Both? Okay, fair enough. So um, a great place to start with the practice is a Dhammadana book, a, a freely offered book that's here, which is called The Issue at Hand. It's a series of short essays that kind of unpack the practice in a really um, relatable way. Um, They're by Gil Fronstall. And then um, another good practice book, of which there are many, is Mindfulness in Plain English by Bhante Gunaratna. And that is in the library on the other side of this wall here. You're welcome to check it out if you want to. And then as far as the stories go... Um, the stories that I conveyed in in this talk are all in an anthology that was translated by a man named Bhikkhu Bodhi, a very famous and revered translator monk. And it's called something like Great Disciples of the Buddha. So maybe some places to start. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Any other thoughts, quibbles, questions, comments? 
Okay, in that case, I have an invitation for you, those of you who are interested. Um, We have about seven minutes left of the formal morning program, and I'll stay around for a little while. We'll gather some chairs in the parking lot maybe for 20 minutes after, around 1045. But meanwhile, the invitation is to turn to two people near you and welcome them here, even if it's your first time here. Give them a warm welcome and maybe mention something, anything that stuck out for you in this talk that was um, helpful or resonated or um, reminded you of something. So um, please don't overthink it. Just turn to a couple of the nearest people, ideally someone you don't know super well, but if that's who happens to be here, that's fine. 